Hi, this is Angie Meadows. And this is Josh Bond. And this is The Rocker Recovery. We're reading Principle A. Detachment means if I see a tornado coming, I can hide in the cellar. You know, Josh, there are some people that stand on the porch and watch them tornadoes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when you see that trouble coming, if you get out of the way... Uh, you're going to be protected. You're going to be hidden. You're not going to be sucked up in that vortex uh, and thrown all over the place. And so I can find ways to disentangle codependent enabling behaviors. I can detach from people who systematically control and manipulate me to finance their irresponsible behaviors. I can withdraw from those who are disorderly and understand it is not my responsibility to feed or house able-bodied adults who refuse to work or squander resources. Hosea 8.7 says, They sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. So, yeah, whatever I'm sowing into is what I'm going to reap. So I want to sow to goodness and kindness and peace, but not to the ability that somebody else can eat of that that they didn't earn and then use it. It's kind of like putting your pearls before pigs. You don't want to be trampled. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Maturity sees the world we're in and gets out of the way. Yes, so I want you to be mature about this. And sometimes, Josh, if it's a trauma bond, if I was raised in domestic violence and was the middle child and the scapegoat, I'm used to receiving the blame for everything. So if some something happens, um, instead of the person assuming their responsibility, they immediately uh, develop a negative bond with their new enablers by setting up a fence against me. And if they do that, nobody's going to hold them accountable. Everybody's going to have this negative bond over this negative offense. And now the person doesn't have to assume responsibility. Now they can continue their path of self-pity or wherever they're at and use somebody else's scapegoat. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So here are some rules for survival. Number one. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That is Second Thessalonians 3.10. Now, I don't think they're talking about disabled. No. I don't think they're talking about the homeless that's, that's really fighting mental illness and struggles. You know, if it's someone in addiction, you know, give them one sandwich and give them phone numbers. Here's where you can go get detox. Here's where you can go get help. You know, there are other things you can do. Because a lot of times... I find that when people are in addiction, they're mentally stuck. Yeah. They don't see another way. You're right. Uh, until it's like they're flat on their backs. They don't see another way. So number two. Make no friendship with stupidity. <laughs> Some things that we're making friendships with are just dumb. We just need to um, to cut that off and to really invest ourselves into things that are strong things that are are going to bring us health and life so have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them in Ephesians 5:11 number 3 withdraw yourself from confusion and disorder in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle walks disorderly and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us 2 Thessalonians 3:6 number 4 
Have nothing to do with an angry person. Do not engage them until they have control over their emotions. Walk away. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. Proverbs 22, 24. And I have found that if I stay in the presence of someone who's angry, I'm going to be angry. yeah, but I, it's going to be over stupid stuff. Yes. And it's going to be exaggerated. Their energy becomes your energy. Yeah. And yes. it's like, whoa, that's not me. <clears throat> yeah, that's I can't me. be around them Yeah, like no, uh-uh. Uh, and it's almost like a, a chronic offense that they're projecting onto somebody else. So you really got to back off if somebody's angry until they're ready to work through that, yeah. until they're ready to own it and say, but this is what I'm doing. Most of the time, it's like their insecurities or fears anyway. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with you or the people around them. It's, that's right. It's something that's bothering them that they do need to work on. You're right. Right. And if they haven't worked through it, it's coming out in bitterness. Yes. And it's coming out at everyone in front of them that irritates them. Yes. Number five. Most likely you have warned them a hundred times. <laughs> they aren't listening. <laughs> I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. Avoid them. Romans sixteen seventeen. It's okay to avoid those that are refusing to take instruction. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, it's hard. It's painful. You feel their pain, and you may not want to avoid them 100% of the time. You may want to um, move in and out quick. Uh, you may want to send somebody else to check on them that isn't emotionally going to get entangled. Does that make sense? Yes. So definitely. total abandonment, I don't think, is of the Lord. I yeah. don't. I don't think we ever just totally abandon anybody, especially family members and friends and people that we have loved. I think you move in and out pretty quick. You give them an opportunity. You say, "Hey, you ready? Hey, tell me when you want to get some help. When do you need to go to the hospital? When do you want to go to detox? You know, how how can how can I help you?" today to move forward yes i don't want to help them today to stay stuck yeah does that make sense i think like so if you that's the best part about social media and text messaging because after you've been to them in person you give them a chance tell them you'll help them and then keep them arm's distance do it over the text message yeah because if you come in contact with them and their bitterness they're going to try to manipulate or they're going to try to uh, it defiles you yeah it really does You're yeah right. it can defile you yeah. so you want to make sure that you've got enough boundaries up to know that this person's not in a good place yep not to let them get in your head and if they're not sober and you're working on sobriety, you may not be able to go back. No. You may have to let somebody else do it, or you may need to go back as a team. Yes. Okay, number six. Warn a person once. Warn them twice and then have nothing to do with him until they develop a, vi- a viable a viable, a viable, accountability plan to change. Have nothing to do with them. Ouch. Yeah. As for a person who stirs up division – means arguments yeah. uh, after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with them that's titus three ten. these are principles from god's words these are instructions um and as an enabler these instructions help me to know where my to set my boundary does yeah. that make sense yeah. because um I always feel like I need to go in and fix things <laughs> which sometimes it just messes it up more <laughs> okay 
My sanity is too important to indulge in mature emotions and behaviors. Mm. So if you're losing your peace, if you're trying to go back in, if you can't think another thought other than worrying about somebody else and their problems and their needs and their confusion, um, you have just lost your sanity. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're literally going around the wilderness. So you've got to stop. You've got to detach. You've got to lay them on that altar and give them to the Lord. Uh, so here's the exercise. What boundaries do you need to set up in your life? Okay, and only you're going to know what to do. Only you're going to know what is tolerable for you. Sometimes it's no contact. Sometimes it is a short text here and there, once a week. Sometimes it's a, okay, I'm going to respond, but I'm going to respond in one word, or I'm going to respond in a couple of hours. I'm going to wait. If it triggers high emotions, you may not need to be in this relationship right now. Okay. What boundaries are being violated? Ooh, so yeah, if you're trying to continue to help somebody and every time you get there, they're violating your boundaries and uh, flipping your words, it, you, can't, you can't go. You're right. You're yeah. Right. Absolutely. Okay. What can you do to empower yourself to be able to control your own environment and make it safer for you or your children? So I think we need to think of safety first, particularly yep. when children are involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Safety and sanity. Yeah. What children need to be protected? Oh, I like that word. Safety. And sanity. And sanity. Yeah. Yeah. If I had those two as my guidepost to make a decision, what's the safest thing for me? What's the sanest thing for me to do that's going to help me to keep my peace? I'll know exactly what to do. Yeah. All right. So here's a lie identification. This SUD means substance use disorder. Assume if a person with active substance use disorder is opening his mouth, he is lying. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a fact. (laughs) I'm so sorry. They could have been totally honest, totally, totally dependable and honest when they're in active recovery. But when they hit that, that brain chemistry hits and they're actively using and they're hiding it, yeah. They're not going to be truthful, and you still want to believe them. Yeah, people think I'm cold when it comes to that, but really, I just lived that life for 30 years, and I was one of them that could not open my mouth without really lying. Like, I might Mm -hmm. tell some truth, but it was to to swindle you into a net, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So when somebody tells me something, I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. They're like, geez, you're being cold. (laughs) No, I'm just no. You know what I mean? As as an enabler um, yeah. and as growing up in an environment that was toxic, I know I developed a habit of lying. Yeah. And so I had to go back and break that habit. Yeah. I had to go back and with safe people. Yeah. Because we were taught the lie to avoid abuse. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> and and it was just a bad habit. So sometimes if you're sober, if you're the enabler, you're just practicing lying because it's a habit. Yeah. And you do it to protect others. And instead, maybe you need to step back and not protect them. Number two. Verify everything before you believe anything. Number three. Do not be gullible. Number four. Make a recovering person with substance abuse disorder. Uh, earn your trust. Number five. Recognize your own line habits or embellishments. Embellishments. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you go back and you repeat the past uh, and you rehearse it, it gets bigger and it gets skewed <laughs> and it gets embellished and it happens again as you rehearse it. So if you're going back and you're repeating what happened to you when you were seven, what happened to you when you were nine, when you were 12, 
I would say about half of that is, is fabricated. Is stronger than it really should be yes, in your life. That is fact. And it's because it was very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so habits are habits. Sometimes we learn to lie as children to avoid abuse. Other times we were trained to lie to by a manipulative parent. This will be a lifetime habit until we purpose to change it. I was thoroughly trained to lie for the purpose of self-preservation and then for manipulating people and circumstances. When I decided to break the, this habit, confessing constantly to a trusted friend was necessary. We agreed I was free to stop mid-sentence or to come back and correct my lying after the fact. This tactic was so humbling that I quickly learned not to lie. It was it was rough. It was it was like swallowing <laughs> a pride every time you went back. And so I just didn't lie anymore. I just was like, I'm just keeping my mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying out of the way. <laughs> there we go, right here. Developing trusting relationships means I need to be a trustworthy example for others to depend on and follow. As I become faithful in speaking the truth, I can require others to be accountable to earn my trust. Hmm. Trust must be earned for enablers and those in addiction recovery. So here's what a trust scale looks like. Never give a loved one with substance use disorder a temptation. Number one. Never leave your purse out. Number two. Hide your wallet. Number three. Hide your identity, social security card, birth certificate. Number four. Count your checks and keep them under lock and key. An active substance user... We'll take a couple checks in the middle of or back of the checkbook. Hmm. Number five. Never give passwords. Number six. Never give security codes. Seven. Never give house key. Eight. Never allow them to make a purchase with your debit or credit card. Nine. Never leave prescription medications unlocked. Ten. Never give them a key to the car. Hide keys when when not in use. Number 11. Lock your bedroom door at night if they are in the house. Well, get an alarm system. <laughs> wow, right. I've seen so much stuff in that that, okay. I, that I needed. To so I, I have family members that would take back in somebody in active abuse, and, and you know they'd have twenty four <laughs> hours recovery, forty eight hours recovery, and they'd say, "Well, now we have to let, we have to trust him. We just have to trust him." So everything would be left out to trust him. Well, they would be thousands of dollars charged on that credit card yeah <laughs> or them checkbooks like you're talking yes. about i forgot all about doing that to people <laughs> swear when i was in active addiction i did that to my own family like, i know and families uh -huh. are easy to embezzle from because yes. um and they're easy to steal from because they're less likely to yes. hold you accountable they're more likely <clears throat> to lie for you and cover for you um out of their belief that if we just keep picking him up He's eventually going to stand. <laughs> and, you know, that worked in the olden days. That worked in the 50s. Yeah. But it doesn't work with drug addiction. No. So, a clear conscience brings a good night of sleep. Yeah. So lock this stuff up. Uh, it's okay. And they will later on tell you thank you because they didn't want the temptation. Yeah. And if you put temptation in front of somebody with with very little self-control, you're really you're – really, it's not safe for them. It's not yeah. safe for you. It's not fair to them because they don't have the self-control yet. So let's look at unmet needs. Mind-altering substances, even prescription medications. Mm -hmm. Number two, alcohol, except excessive sugar or overeating. Number three, sexually acting out. Number four, suicidal, homicidal, angry, bitter, self-pity, grieving, ruination. Five, uh, Compulsive shopping or gambling, television, etc. What are my unmet needs? So, uh, 
I may oh. have negative behaviors, and I may be exhibiting these behaviors because I have unmet needs. Yeah. So I want you to identify what are your unmet needs, because unmet needs are going to drive us to dysfunctional patterns. Can I ask for what I need from safe people? So if you don't have safe people in your life, I want you to start developing safety for yourself so that you can trust yourself and then start um, thinking about the safe people in your life that you could bond with. Because a lot of times, Josh, as in enablers or people in recovery, we don't bond with safe people. You're right. We we get scared. We think we got to perform. We think we got to... Uh, jump the hoops or be a, you know, we don't trust ourselves and we just avoid them. So I want you to start develop, finding safe people and developing relationships with them. Do I know how to reach out to others? Hmm. Can I take care of my needs first? And enablers don't normally care for themselves. No, they don't. And so one of my jobs has been, okay, self-care, self-care, self-care every day. <laughs> take care of yourself. Do something for yourself. And that way I can realize that I am valuable. Even yeah. if others didn't value me or don't value me, I can back up and say, no, wait a minute. Do so. I have a safe support group or close friends who understand? Mm-hmm. If there is no one safe in my life, can I be safe for myself? Oh, what would it look like to be safe for yourself? Yeah. Uh, I think just I know what I got to do, the steps I got to take every day to be safe for myself. Okay. I can't hang out with the people that I know is going to bring that negative energy you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I know that I got to rely on God more than any, more than I see that any of my friends do. Well, besides a couple of my support group, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But any of the friends that I hang out with, I know that. Like, I, if they're not on the way, same wavelength as me, they're really probably not even my friends. You so, know what I mean? So if my trauma wounds get <clears throat> triggered, abandonment, neglect, being unwanted, misjudged, un, misunderstood, um, if those wounds get triggered and I don't have a good, safe place inside myself, I might personalize that yes. and decide that, oh, whoa, I'm just not worthy to even live this life, to walk the streets, to have yes. this. I might have even had a little part in some of the stuff that they're accusing, even if they had 90% of it. I might have had a little thought or a little part, something that I'm – and the, the thing about addiction and even enabling, which is another form of addiction, is that when something negative happens and it triggers a trauma wound, now you're on a loop. Yeah. And now it's really strong. Yes. And now you can't stop it until you've obsessed your way through it and you do something to act on it. Well, what would it look like not to act? Yeah. Uh, It would look like healthy coping skills. Well, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to take a walk. Or yeah. I'm going to go get my kayak, or I'm going to go get a cup of warm tea and sit with my book. Um, I want you to think about when am I triggered, and if I'm obsessing, don't act. Or talk to a friend, like yeah. you say. If I'm talk to anybody like that you trust, like right. it was saying earlier, like find a counselor, right? Find somebody that you can go over what just happened, and then they're right. going to help you find the root of what's hurting. So now let's look at what some of these <coughs> obsessive thinking traps look like. The first one is fantasy thinking. I compulsively escape the circumstances and reactions of others with fairy tale daydreaming. Name your fantasy. This will be your area of vulnerability. If the fantasy that you will be loved, safe, seen, heard, held, validated, cherished, 
what is the deep need that replays in this fantasy? So a lot of times it goes back to just wanting to be validated, wanting to be nurtured. You didn't get that as a child. You didn't feel that maybe in a marriage that ended in uh, domestic violence or divorce. And so you're going to have to be these things for yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? You're yeah. going to have to find your first love with your higher power, with Christ, and you're going to have to learn to find scriptures that make you feel loved, make you feel safe, seen, heard, held, validated, and cherished. And the Holy Spirit has a way of doing this. Yes. When I journal, He has a way of bringing up a scripture in my heart that just validates me. And all of a sudden, I have this deep inner warmth and peace, and I know I'm loved, and I, I'm okay. Now the obsessing stops. But a lot of times, uh, it takes me a couple of days to sit down to get there. It's almost like um, that repetitive obsessing pattern has dominance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so number two. Trauma thinking. I spontaneously and anxiously role play <clears throat> future devastation, bankruptcy, abandonment, homelessness, prison, and funerals. Ooh. Is he dead or in the gutter? Is he at the bottom of the river? What will happen to the children? Name the worst thing that could happen and realize that it isn't happening now and enjoy this moment. Save your strength for if or when the trauma comes. So a lot of times when you've been in these trauma loops with somebody in addiction, with somebody uh, in alcoholism or domestic violence, you've really got a lot of junk going on. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're so far out in the future trying to manage things that you forget that you have power right now to change. You have power to get up and leave. You're not a child anymore. You're an adult. You can make plans to make your life look different. And instead, we get stuck in these trauma bonds and in yeah. these loops. And we feel like if we could just control which way that dish rag was hung, which way those shoes were clean, you know, we just feel like if we could control, then they wouldn't be triggered, then we wouldn't be in this problem, then there wouldn't be a relapse. And we just keep trying to go back and replay that. So let's look at number three, automatic replay thinking. I persistently replay a traumatic event, mm. hurtful gesture, or unkind word. One harsh criticism gives me an avalanche of past wounds to rehearse. This means I have not dealt, dealt with past trauma. I become paralyzed with self-pity type of behaviors. This can quickly overwhelm me with depression and isolation. It can exhibit it by overeating, staying in bed, or addictive behaviors. Name the past wound that triggers a negative thinking pattern. Hmm. So if you've got this type of uh, automatic replay going on, I want you to go back and look at the original wound that felt like this. So say the original wound happened when you were seven. Your parents got divorced, you never saw your father again, or something happened when you were seven. If something gets triggered, like an abandonment wound, you may feel like you're seven, and that's why you don't have the skills as an adult to move forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. So instead, you're going to be like that seven-year-old, very uh, full of uh, depression, anxiety, self-pity, fear. Um, so I want you to start looking at that and think, what age am I when I feel that way? What happened that I first felt like this? Number four, rumination. Some rumination is activating your sympathetic nervous system while you are internally rationalizing with the irrational person. 
romanticizing, romanticizing, romanticizing a toxic relationship by only remembering the good times. You know, and that's very that's very common. Uh-huh. Uh, once you get out of domestic violence, once you get out of an enabling behaviors, once you get out of addiction, you may even yes. romanticize what that addiction did for you and how it made you feel. Uh, those are going to be like euphoric memories, and I want you to make a toxic list. Yes. I think I heard a YouTube uh, teacher call it an ick list. <laughs> Write down all the icky things that this addiction did, that this relationship did, that this toxic person uh, did, so that you're not going to get caught romanticizing the good stuff or uh, triggering uh, happy euphoric memories that maybe only happen three to five percent of the time yeah so self-pity can zap my strength so i do not want to wallow in self-pity because i'm going to flip i'm going to jump ditches i'm going to hit the self-pity and then to pull myself out of depression i'm going to go to this fantasizing this romanticizing uh and daydreaming type stuff does that make any sense yeah okay exercise it takes a self-awareness to listen to your passive thinking patterns it takes observing your patterns and learning what makes you anxious and when anxiety took control of your peaceful day. Mm. Learn to reflect on anxious thoughts. Move them outside of yourself and detach from them and build strong thinking skills. So boundaries with my passive thinking. So goals for my thinking. Number one. Self-controlled. Number two. Healthy. Three. Honorable. Four. Faith. Five. Kind. Six. Patient. Seven. Accepting. Eight. Releasing. Nine. True. Ten. Hopeful. <laughs> yeah, so we want we want thoughts to be self-controlled, healthy, honorable, faithful, kind, patient, accepting, releasing, toxicity and toxic thoughts, and then true and hopeful. And if we're not there, we don't have boundaries in our thinking, then we got to build boundaries with ourselves. Yeah. Okay, principle. Detachment means if I see a tornado coming, I can hide in a cellar. Okay, so if you're on that uh, thinking loop... On that negativity, on that trauma loop, uh, tormenting yourself, uh, thinking that, now, if I could just do this, uh, I'll get some peace. You're not going to get peace. It's going to go back around the bush. (laughs) If there's not a complete change, sometimes you just got to hide yourself, get out of the way, and let things play themselves out. So in conclusion. It is vital to control our thinking. Maturity can dictate what I will and will not think. Obsessive thinking can cause severe suffering and is addictive Mm -hmm. it is a habitual pattern intentionally break it yes you have to recognize what you're thinking and realize that you have the power to stop those toxic thoughts and uh, replace them with healthy ones so obsessive thinking is addictive so if i get addicted to self-pity anxiety fear anger i'm addicted It's going to take over my personality. It's going to be who I am. And I'm going to think that, well, that's just the way I am. You just got to accept me the way I am. That's just who I am. And that's not true. (laughs) It's an obsessive thinking pattern. And I can choose to stop being like that. I can choose to work through my bitterness. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Reach out to a trusted friend, solid support group, and or professional counselor to unravel this painful mess. If you do not, you will be driven to dysfunctional coping skills to alleviate your suffering. Undisciplined thinking will eventually take a toll on your physical health, well-being, and all your other relationships. It will. So I want you to decide what thoughts um, make you crazy. 
what thoughts trigger your sympathetic nervous system that make you feel like you're running from a tiger and you'll know your stomach's upset you can't sleep you're waking up in the middle of the night you're choking uh i'll just trying to drink a glass of water you'll know that there's a lot of toxicity a lot of dysfunctional stuff going on here and then i want you to take every thought captive to the word of god to the tearing down of strongholds and really wrestle this thing so you can govern what thoughts you will and will not think and our thought life is the first step to sobriety yeah <laughs> so if I can control my thoughts, yeah. I have sobriety. And so sobriety comes with my thinking first. Yeah. Okay, so pray us out of here, Josh. Father, hide me beneath your wings. Help me to give you the work of my hands that you may establish my thoughts. Give me awareness of my passive thinking. Help me to identify and heal my internal wounds. Give me an understanding of my unmet needs. Give me the grace to be pure, honest, and safe for myself. Give me safe and healthy people in which to develop rich, trusting friendships. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want you to be safe for yourself. I want you to be healthy for yourself. I want you to have safe and healthy thoughts. I want you to have developed rich trusting friendships and that starts with developing a trusting friendship with myself and with jesus christ and this is angie meadows and this is josh Wong. and we'll talk to you later love you